decided to come up and preach with the world's smallest Bible. I don't know how you're going to read from that, but uh, I used to have one about that big, but it's too small. Now. So I gave it to Doug. It's, in, it's his blood blocked Bible now. All right. Yeah, yeah, you should see the size of his paper font. It's massive. So he's just doing a little godly or something with a small one. Well, guys, it's a great privilege to introduce Matt um, as our preacher this morning. It's not um, an opportunity I give away lightly. Um, I, I'm only going to call upon men whom I trust, men of stature, uh, men who are holy and righteous and love the Lord, love his word and live it out. And Matt is one of those men. Um, he's a man that we've been in church together you know, five, six years now, and I've seen him walk through a whole bunch of different trials, ups and downs, and having a baby, and seen a persistent and steadfast joy in the Lord, because he's rooted in God's Word, um, and he has no other turning place. And so, uh, that's what Matt is going to be preaching on this morning from Psalm 1, uh, and it gives me great delight to welcome him up. So why don't you guys give him a round of applause and thank Um, funny story, about <clears throat> six months ago, I had a dream, and um, I, was, I was preaching at this church. Sometimes for my work, I have to go and preach at, or um, talk about my work at other churches. And this time I was, in my dream, I was preaching at this church I'd never been to. I turned up late, walk into this big dark building that already started. Um, I sneak in the back door, kind of, you know, very subtly, as if I'm already there and I'm not late at all. Um, and Simon Walker of all people meets me at the door and sort of leads me down the front and um, he's like, oh, it's time for you to preach. I was like, okay. And then it dawned on me, I haven't finished preparing. <laughs> and I sort of got out the front and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? Um, anyways, you'll be pleased to know that I have prepared. So, please turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 1, which is just a precious psalm, beautiful psalm. And I'm going to read, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let me pray. Our holy God, our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for your precious word. 
open our hearts, open our ears to hear. And please transform us by the power of your word and your spirit for your glory and for our good. Amen. Well, imagine someone promises you true happiness. It's actually not very difficult to imagine because we get that promise every day. The, the promise is made in advertising in the world. It's, um, you know, hey, come and um, have more money. We'll help you get a nice car. We'll help you buy a beautiful house. We'll help you find a relationship. We'll help you uh, choose better clothing choices and home decor. And that's something which some of us do need help with. <laughs> Well, and, and have had lots of help with, because I'm not mentioning any names. We'll make your internet slightly faster. We'll make your life more comfortable, more secure, more peaceful, more joyful, more complete, more enviable, more satisfied. Why? Because it will make you truly happy. And it's, it's not a bad thing to want to be truly happy. That's actually what our psalm today is all about. But those things I just mentioned, we know that they don't deliver true happiness. They promise it. They don't deliver true happiness. Enter Psalm 1. Psalm 1, you could say, advertises true happiness. It says... Hey, do you want true happiness? Come and get it here. Someone. Because unlike the other advertisements, someone actually delivers on his promise of true happiness. If you live out someone, you will get true happiness. And the, the claim of someone is exclusive. You don't need Psalm 1 plus that car or that relationship or house or bigger bank account or home decor or whatever it is. Or even all of those things. You, you just need Psalm 1. The Psalm 1 way. That's all you need for true happiness. It makes true happiness easy to find. There's only one way to get it. There's the Psalm 1 way, and there's every other conceivable way that you could attempt to try to find true happiness. Two ways. Only one works. And so here is the, the take-home point of this message. The big idea, the proposition is this. Devotion to God's Word is the only way to true happiness in this life and in the life to come. Devotion to God's Word is the only way to true happiness in this life and in the life to come. We've got three main points in this message as well. <clears throat> and here they are as well. For those of you taking notes... Point one, two choices, verses one and two. Point two is two stories, verses three and four. And point three is two endings, verses five and six. 
And each pair of verses has a contrast, a contrast between these two ways. And we will look more closely at that as we get to each point. But let's begin by looking at point one. Two choices in verses one and two. These verses present us with two choices for how we can go about our lives. Only one comes with a blessing. Verse 1 says, Blessed is the man, or the person, or the woman. Blessed is that person. And this word blessed, blessed, um, the way it's written in the Hebrew is, it's like a celebration. It's like, literally, Oh, the happiness of the man. Of the person. It's, it's drawing our attention. It's, it's celebrating the true happiness of this person. And it's, it's doing it in such a way that it's like, hey, come and look. Come and see this person. This person has true happiness. If you want true happiness, come. If you want to be blessed, come and be like this person. It's kind of like... Um, you know, they're street performers. Often you see them on their own and they're doing their little thing and there's not many people there. And then they'll try and um, gather in the crowd. Everybody's walking by. They want people to gather in and see them and, and, and see what they're doing so that they can enjoy, enjoy the street performance. The, the psalm here, blessed is the man, is, is calling us in to see this blessed person and why they are blessed. And it's, it's really inviting us to emulate them and to be blessed ourselves. Well, what does it actually mean to be blessed? I've said it a, a couple of times already, um, but a better translation of the Hebrew is truly happy. And so long as we know that this, this true happiness, it's not a kind of ignorant bliss where you know you grab a bottle of coke with your name on it and run along the beach with your friends into the sunset and forget everything in life uh, no this this true happiness um, it's a it's a lasting enduring joy <laughs> no matter the circumstances of your life This is what Psalm 1 advertises. No matter what, you can have... No, we don't have these ups and downs of, of happiness in life. No. Psalm 1 advertises a steady, true, joyful, long-lasting happiness. And it invites you to come and have that for yourself. Sounds good. <laughs> Where do we get this true happiness? Where's the checkout? How do I buy this thing? Where do I get it from? Well, in, in verse 1 and 2, we, we see two things that this truly happy person does. Or rather, one thing that they refuse to do, and then one thing that they do do. Let's start with what they refuse to do. Look at verse 1 with me. The truly happy person walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, 
nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And this verse is giving us a picture of a worldview that lives for self and is entirely opposed to God. Each of these ideas describes an aspect of, of evil, of worldly values, and each one the truly happy person rejects, refuses to engage with. There's worldly counsel, there's the actions and activities of sinners, and there's this kind of these scoffers who have this hardness of heart, this unteachability, who, who believe themselves to be right in every way and, and look down on others. You religious people, so foolish, so stupid to believe in a God. It's that kind of, that kind of entrenched hardness of heart, unteachability that, that this person rejects. And the Hebrew, the way, the way this person rejects each of these things in the Hebrew, it's, it's emphatic that the truly happy person it has nothing whatsoever to do with any of these things. It's not like they kind of sidle up and get as close to the boundary line as they can and, and you know, try and taste a tiny bit. And they, they outright reject these things. The truly happy person is constantly alert for the influence of these things in their life so that they can reject and refuse these things. And Jeff Perswell puts it this way. The truly happy person stands apart and, if necessary, stands alone. So that is what the truly happy person doesn't do or well, they, they do reject those things. They don't engage. They don't give themselves to those things. Here's what the truly happy person does. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Now, this isn't some kind of quiet time, devotional hero who, you know, reads his Bible multiple times a day and uh, no matter what happens in the day. This, this is explaining, it's, it's not explaining, you know, two points in a day where you sit down in the morning and then in the night and read the Bible. This is explaining a, a way of life of this truly happy person. The word for meditate, um, it, it implies a muttering to yourself, it's it's a um, thinking over, mulling, bringing to remembrance constantly the word of God, and the reason the person does this is because in each situation in their life that they encounter, they want to live out the word of God, and so they're drawing on it all the time, bringing it to memory, meditating on it day and night, and every moment in between. No matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, they're, they're drawing on this so that they can live it out. They want to live it out. They know they need God's Word because when they live in accord with it, it goes well for them. It's a good thing. And so they delight in God's Word because it helps them live well. It guides them through 
life, the complexities, the trials, the everything of life. Here's a question for us to consider. How many minutes a day do we process the values of the world? If you think about your week for a moment, if you think about your day, average day going to work or school or uni, how many minutes a day do you process the values of the world around us? How does the amount of input that you get from worldly values compare to the amount of input you get from God's values? See, we're exposed to worldly values all the time. You can't escape it. And it's God's design that we we don't escape the world and um, exposure to worldly values. But we we see them everywhere. You, You catch a bus and you... There's ads inside the bus with worldly values. There's a, someone talking too loudly on the phone and you overhear perhaps some of their worldly values. You hear someone playing their music too loudly. Something on the radio, you go home and watch the TV. Um, you, you, know, you see a billboard in the street. You, you read a book. You go on social media. We're exposed to worldly values all the time. But God has given us a way. He doesn't take us away from them out of this world, he gives us a way to live in the world and discern what are the worldly values and what are God's values so that we can live by God's values in the world and be different. We need his word. (laughs) We need his word. We're so saturated by worldly values. We need to be able to discern what is good for us. If we want it to go well, we need his word. Now, there's some situations that God's word directly addresses, but there's also many that it doesn't directly address. Um, and the purpose of God's law is it's not simply to tell us how to live in those certain situations it directly addresses, but God's word actually trains us in how to live godly lives. It um, it, it, it's, it trains us in God's worldview. It trains us in God's values so that when we learn those values and that worldview, we live out of that. We make decisions out of that. Those values of God guide us and we can live in a way that it goes well. That's Psalm 1. We get trained in God's word and God's values. why Paul can say this about God's word. It's such a familiar verse, but it's so relevant. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God, the person of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Every good work. And a great example of this is, I think, Riley Manning. You know, if I want help with an important decision, if I want their counsel and advice, um, you know, I, I don't go to them just because they know their Bibles well, which they do, but I go to them because they've been trained by their Bibles. They've been trained by God's Word. And still in training, as we all are, uh, and still getting to know God's Word, as we all are, um, but they, they're trained by it. 
And so they give good counsel. It's more than just saying, hey, go to this page, warm there's your answers. It's giving advice that has been shaped by God's values. And they live it. They don't just know it up here, but they, they know it by experience as well. And any of us, and there are many of us already, but any of us, we too, when we give ourselves to God's word and are trained by it, we'll, we will embody, we will take on God's values and we will live lives of wisdom and grace increasingly so. Not just in the facets that God's word directly addresses, but in every facet of life. This is the choice that the, the truly happy person has made. They've, they've chosen to reject these worldly values. They've chosen to pursue God's values and, and embody them and live them out. And this is the choice that we all face. Yeah. Only one will make you truly happy. Yeah. Devotion to God's word yeah. is the only way to true happiness. In this life, and in the life to come. Well, point two is about this life. It's, it's about two life stories. In verses three and four, we get two contrasting illustrations. One, it's a big, vibrant, life-filled, fruit-bearing tree. The other is chaff. Empty, transient, useless. And both illustrations, each illustration tells a life story. It tells the tree, tells the life story of the truly happy person, the chaff of the wicked. Let's look at the tree illustration. We see in this illustration that we see the source of the, the truly happy person and then we see the results. Let's have a look at the source in verse 3. He, that is the truly happy person, is like a tree planted by streams of water. This tree has been purposely planted by streams of water. It's no accident that they, this tree has ended up next to a constant stream of water. The tree could have been planted in the desert, in a field. The seeds could have been scattered by the wind anywhere. But this tree is intentionally planted by constant streams of water because there it will have all that it needs to be vibrant and to bear fruit all the time. And this is the, the illustration of the truly happy person. The tree thrives because of the constant streams of water. Just as the truly happy person is truly happy because they meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. The law of the Lord is the source of the truly happy person. It is constantly nourishing, constantly building them up. Look at verse 3 again, and we'll see the results of this source of being planted by constant streams. The tree yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. Yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. 
year after year, the tree bears fruit. Not just once or twice, but year after year, in season, it bears fruit. The, the constant source of nourishment for this tree means that it constantly bears fruit. It is steadfast, it's rooted, it's not moving, it's not going anywhere. The leaves never wither. The other trees in the desert, in the field, scattered by the wind, when drought comes, they'll struggle to produce fruit. But not this tree. Not this tree, which is planted by constant streams of water. Come what man, no matter the circumstances, this tree always bears fruit. Because it is always known. What is the fruit? What is the result of a life lived in accord with God's law? In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus gives us his summary of every command in God's law, in the Old Testament. He says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Love God, love others. That's the fruit of being constantly nourished by God's word. Consider the fruit tree. It doesn't bear fruit for itself. It bears fruit for others. And this is the joy of the Christian life. It's, it's this kind of backward advertising of Psalm 1. Uh, the, the advertising of the world says, get this and it will be good for you. It will make your life better. You, you will go better. It will all be about you. Someone does say, come and get this, it will go well for you, but your life won't be about you. It won't be about furthering yourself or getting what you want, but it will make you truly happy. Serving others, loving God, that will be your joy. That will make you truly happy. That will be the fruit of a vibrant life fueled by the Word of God. And in contrast to this elaborate illustration of the tree, we get this brief illustration of the wicked person, the chaff. And this, this sort of the brevity of this illustration, it reinforces this idea that their life, that the wicked person is fleeting. And it lacks substance. Let's look at verse 4. The wicked are not so. That is, they're not like the truly happy person. They're not bearing fruit. They're not vibrant, full of life, and constantly nourished. What are they like? Chaff. That the wind drives away. There's no source. There's no vibrancy, there's no life, there's no fruit, there's no leaf, no chaff. Chaff, uh, in ancient times when they would get the wheat to 
together, they, they would have to separate the wheat from the husks. And once they'd done that process, they would toss the wheat into the air. And the wheat's heavier than the husks, and so the wheat falls to the ground, and the husks kind of float and get carried away by the wind. That's the chaff. That's the image of the wicked person. You can, every time I pour out quinoa into the pot, you can, it's really fine chaff, but you can kind of see it. There's the quinoa in the pot, and then there's this like fine dust, and it just disappears like that. You should, you should try quinoa and then look out for the chaff as well. That, that's the, the picture that we get of the wicked person. But you might say, hang on a second, don't the wicked prosper? Doesn't it go well for them when they treat other people and they, they get ahead in life? Everything? That's a good question. The Psalms actually ask the same question multiple times. And I think the answer is that yes, they do prosper, but they prosper in a worldly sense. And the picture we get in Psalm 1 is, is of the wicked person's life story. It's the sum of their life and the trajectory of their life. And so no matter what their life looks like, no matter how they prosper in a worldly sense right now, no matter how rich and famous and enviable their life could be, the real picture of their life is in Psalm 1, their chaff. Their life, no matter how it looks, is empty and and lacking fruit and lacking substance. There's only two ways. The Psalm 1 way and the way of the wicked. What will your life story be? What is your life story right now? Are you a fruitful, vibrant, constantly nourished tree, like the truly happy person? Or is your life story more like the chaff? If you stay rooted, here's the promise of Psalm 1. If you stay rooted, purposely planted by those streams of water, you will be fruitful and vibrant. You can't not be. And this church... <coughs> It's a joy to look around and see that so many are living this way. That there are so many fruitful, vibrant trees in this church who are being nourished by the Word of God. Keep going. Bear more fruit for God's glory. Keep being intentional. Keep being purposeful. Keep getting help and, and living out and reading God's Word and staying nourished by those streams. The psalm portrays a lifetime of work. It's not a, you don't become a, a fruitful, vibrant tree overnight. It takes a long time, but keep going. And let God's word continue to nourish you and, and make you bear more fruit for his glory. Devotion to God's word is the only way to true happiness in this life and in the life to come. Well, point three talks about the life to come. It talks about the, the end of these two stories. <clears throat> so we have point three, two endings. We're going to look at verse five and six. 
And these, these two final verses are really about where the, the life stories end up, where the path of wickedness takes, where the path of true happiness takes. And again, we have a contrast. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. In ancient Israel, um, they had a judicial system where they would um, meet at the gate of the city and they would assemble and the, the elders would be there. They would, um, th- this would be the assembly. This would be the, the place where the accused comes and judgment is passed, the case is heard. Um, and the Bible, it uses this um, judicial process from ancient Israel to look forward to the final day. All people on that day will stand trial. And in that great courtroom, just like in the Israelite trials, the wicked will not stand. The wicked will not be acquitted. The end of the wicked, as Psalm 6 says, as verse 6 says, is death. Every conceivable way, other than the Psalm 1 way, will lead to death. Verse 6 says, the way of the wicked will perish. It's a sobering reality. The way of the wicked will perish. They will be found guilty in God's courtroom. But there is also a joyful reality in verse 6 for the righteous, for the truly happy. And it's this. The Lord knows the way of the wicked, of the righteous, rather. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. And the word knows, it's describing God's intimate care, God's intimate knowledge and oversight of the righteous person and their life and their ways. We commit ourselves, we devote ourselves to God's word, and here's the glorious thing. He's with us. He works with us. He carries us. He watches over us. He guides us. We don't commit ourselves to God's word and then do it on our own. God is with us in it. And God, as we commit ourselves to his word, God leads us home. We walk to heaven with Bible in hand. God brings us safely home. Imagine for a moment that God had never made the second way, the, the Psalm 1 way. Adam and Eve sin in the garden. Um, they reject good and righteousness in God's way. They go their way. Um, the Sin, wickedness enters the world. Imagine that's the only way that there is. <laughs> it's a horrible thought. But that would be the only way that every person would perish. But by God's grace, He's given us a way. He's revealed a way through His law. He's 
provided his son to walk that way perfectly, righteously, so that those of us who trust in him, we have his righteousness. We, in effect, walk that way perfectly ourselves. Jesus takes our sin on the cross and he gives us his righteousness. God has shown us the way, he's made the way, and he makes us able to walk it. He makes us perfect in that way. What grace, what grace that God would make a way to life and make a Make it impossible for us to fail in it because Jesus did it for us. So if you and I believe in Christ, we stand acquitted. Even now, we stand righteous. We live the psalm one way and we can't fail. What promises true happiness? What's going to be true life? What's going to be true happiness for you in 2020? The psalm offers us two choices, two ways. Every other conceivable way to true happiness. Or the psalm one way. They're two very different life stories. And they have two very different endings. Devotion to God's word is the way to true the only way to true happiness in this life and the next. So may we continue to run in that way. May we delight in his law. May we pursue it. May we be intentional in our day to day. May we live it out in every situation that we encounter. May we mutter and draw it into our, our memory and, and, and live it out in those situations. And may God will lead us home. God will be with us as we walk in his way. And he will give us grace. And he will help us. And he will, he will lead us home. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the Psalm 1 way. Thank you that you made that way for us. That you be so gracious even to to make the way, let alone to send your son to walk perfectly in that way, in our place. So that as we follow the Psalm 1 way, we are completely righteous and you will lead us home. Help us delight in your word. Help us live it out in every situation. Help us be vibrant trees, bearing fruit for your glory and the good of others. And may we be 